Today, she's an attorney, but some years ago, she was rescued from abortion. Today, she leads a ministry making a major, major impact. She's Antoinette Duck, and I'm John Bradshaw, and this is our conversation. Antoinette, thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate you taking your time. Thank you. Thank you. Your story is a fascinating story. Today mm. you're an attorney, but today might never have happened, mm. but that you were rescued from abortion long ago. Mm. Take me back there and walk me through what happened. Okay. Um, in 1981, my mother um, found out she was pregnant, and she was in a very abusive marriage. Um, she was about 20 years old. And um, she really believed that she had no way out. Um, There was no solution. She didn't want to bring a child into that relationship. And so she decided that she was going to have an abortion. Um, She began putting money away secretly, um, secretly giving money to a friend of hers. And when she thought that she finally had enough money, she went to her friend and said, hey, I need this money. It's time for me to get out of here. And the friend said, what money? Oh, I spent no, all of it. No. Mm-hmm. It's gone. So she really didn't know what to do. She really felt lost. Um, she later encountered an ad in the paper, and it said, hey, I'm alive, voice of the preborn, Columbus, Georgia. And it was an advertisement for a crisis pregnancy center. Um, There was a church in the area um, that had begun a crisis pregnancy center out of the church. And she went um, and went back for some counseling. When she went in for counseling, she saw this magazine. Life magazine had done a spread of the baby's preborn life, showing stages of gestation, um, development. And she saw fingers and toes, hands and feet, arms and legs. She had no idea that the unborn inside of her was alive. She thought it was just a mass of protoplasm. So as she looked through these photos, she was convinced, um, I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but I'm going to go through it with my baby. And that baby was me. Up until that time, she was planning to terminate the pregnancy. Yes. Mm-hmm. You would not be here. No, no. But for the intervention of God. Absolutely. An advertisement that your mom just happened to see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, so she had the baby and all her problems went away, presumably. No, not at all. Not at all. Um, what was really uh, critical in our story is the person who had begun this crisis pregnancy center. He was a pastor. His name was Andy Merritt. And the Lord had really impressed him to um, get involved in this area to create a place of refuge and hope. And when she encountered him, he pointed her to hope. He pointed her to life and completely changed the trajectory of our story, of our lives, hers and mine together. After she had me, his involvement in our lives, the church's involvement in our lives did not change. Something very important to understand is that crisis pregnancy doesn't necessarily stop at birth. Right. It continues. Who is going to walk alongside yeah. the woman in crisis? Who's going to walk alongside the man in crisis? Well, that's our job as the church to be the Lord's hands and feet. And so when my mom needed a baby shower, the church was there. When my mother needed a job, the church was there. When we needed a place to stay, 
the church was there. When we needed a safe place in the middle of the night, the church was there. Multiple members of the church opened their homes up to us and embraced us in what we were experiencing and walking through. Their commitment, not only um, to life, but to us uh, in our human capacity and our human need, that did not stop. The people, that pastor, they really helped to preserve us because if we um, had not had them, our story would have been very different. It's a stunning story of the way the church uh, can make a difference. That's how the church was set up originally, is, mm. to, is, is, is to make a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, do you see that as an observer from afar or near? Do you see many churches taking that type of role mm. seriously? I think it depends on the church. Our church was very special. I, I think... Um, depending on the church, depending on the denomination, perhaps, um, people become very involved. They very much want to walk alongside women in the crisis and even um, have certain programs to give um, formula, diapers, food, things to help out as the child is growing. That's a fascinating thing, is it? Depending on the denomination, Mm. as though, why why does that make a difference? I mean, Christians Mm. are Christians. Surely there are some certain aspects of compassion that ought to bleed over from or bleed through all denominations? I think in part, perhaps, um, it depends on how much people value the unborn and the woman in crisis. That was the difference, I think, um, for that pastor, Andy Merritt. He didn't just value the unborn. He valued my mother. He valued her spiritual soundness. And so it wasn't simply a matter of saying don't have the abortion. After she chose life, he wanted to walk alongside her. The people in that church wanted to walk alongside her in whatever circumstances she was experiencing. I think if a church truly believes that we're valuable because we're made in the image of the Lord, that has to extend to everyone. It doesn't stop simply because you're a woman in crisis. It doesn't stop because you're a man in crisis. They too are made in the image of the Lord. And if we're going to really affect this issue, we have to be willing to meet people in that place of deep need. When it comes to abortion, there's a fascinating dynamic at play. Hmm. It's not hard to either believe or to understand how a person can believe that abortion is wrong. Mm-hmm. Really quite bad. You're ending a life. You're ending a defenseless life. It's, it's, it's a terrible thing. Hmm. However, in acknowledging that, infrequently it seems, there's compassion, understanding, love shown towards the mother. That person is the enemy, not a victim. That person is the one doing the wronging isn't the one who has in some way been wronged. How in the world do we help people who feel passionately about preventing abortion Mm -hmm. to feel even slightly as passionately Mm -hmm. about protecting and caring for and loving and ministering to the women who find themselves in a situation where they find like they need an abortion? Some of those women will say, keep your sympathy, I don't need it, I don't care. I imagine many of those women are having abortions because they're going through some real difficulty in their life. Mm. How do we balance this thing up? It's easy to point the finger and condemn. Easy. Mm. It's even fashionable to condemn, even Mm. though Jesus stated he wasn't here to condemn. Mm -hmm. How would you advise, whether it's a congregation or an individual, to look at this thing Mm -hmm. in a little more Christian a way? 
do people genuinely believe that women deserve better than abortion? Do they believe that or is, or are we just providing lip service? The gospel doesn't love us based on how well we perform. Christ, he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He sought us while we were yet sinners. Every single one of us falls into those categories. And if we're actually going to meet people at that place of great need, we can't say this person matters and this person doesn't. He's either the creator of all or he's not really the creator. So we have to decide who are we serving? Are we serving the Lord on his terms or are we not? We don't have to devalue the unborn. We don't. We can love mother, child, father, grandparents equally because we're made in the image of the Lord. The Lord has already established the standard. Will we be people who choose to live by that standard? What's missing, do you think? I'm probably re-asking my question. I don't mean to. I might what, not have answered what, no, it. No, no, your answer is fine. I'm just <laughs> wanting to drill down a little further. Okay. What's missing, do you think, mm. that it's easy to see the, the harm and the hurt of abortion mm-hmm. and just as easy for people to overlook that the woman who had an abortion has a beating heart mm-hmm. and she is someone for whom Jesus died. Mm. Why is it so easy to to care about the unborn mm-hmm. but not give a rip about the living? Are we having one of those scenarios where um, perhaps we can see the sin of another and not see our own? Um, because when we see that we are equal at the foot of the cross, um, that every single one of us is just as guilty as the other, then there should pour into our hearts compassion for someone who's had an abortion. The way that that abortion is going to impact her, whether she acknowledges it or not, it's going to have extremely um, brutal consequences, effects in her life. The, the way that she's going to carry it with her, it will be woven into the fabric of who she is. And there are countless women who have said, if I had had a support system, if I had not walked alone. That's why the, the church, the pastor in our story was so significant because my mother didn't, even though she was walking through a domestic violence situation, she wasn't entirely alone. There were people who were there for her, who provided a community, who wanted to support and and it completely changed our story. My story could have gone a very different direction and it wouldn't have been because we were were somehow holier and these other people weren't. Our story could have gone a very different direction if the people the Lord had inserted into it hadn't been there. Um, I think if we have the mindset um, that this person is so awful, we need to step back and remember their but for the grace of God, go I. That's true in every single scenario, every sin we're talking about. And if that is our mindset where we're condemning and we can't step back and see, um, maybe she has no money. Maybe the father is in jail. Maybe her parents are putting all of this pressure on her. Maybe she's scared to death and she thinks, what's going to happen in my future? Maybe, maybe, maybe. If we can step back and see the reasons that are valid, it doesn't mean it excuses abortion. It doesn't mean it permits it. But these are valid considerations and we should give them the consideration that they're due. We don't need to dismiss them and act as though they're not real. Who is going to pay for food? Who is going to pay for prenatal care? Who is going to pay for schooling? These are very these are very honest questions. And you're right. The church is the hands and feet of Christ to come along people. That was its original function to help help people in the trenches of life. So 
you, you were rescued from abortion. Mm. You were you were very young at the time. Mm. How old were you when you were familiarized with that story? Mm-hmm. When did you become aware of that? Mm-hmm. Honestly, I cannot remember um, it ever not being a part. Is that so? Mm. My mother... Um, began sharing her story very early on. Well, the church has, has, um, the church itself um, wrapped their arms around us, just completely embraced us. And I, I grew up in that church and um, loved it very dearly and was the second child to go through that particular crisis pregnancy center. And so our story was very celebrated um, within that community. And it was something that has just always been a part of, of my life, of my story. So when and how did you get drawn to... I don't know if advocacy is the wrong word or the right word, but get get, in, get mm. drawn to doing something to address abortion. Mm-hmm. About how old were you or, or, mm-hmm. or what stage of your life were you when the light went on and you said, hey, I care enough to do something here? You know, it's happened... Um I would I would say over time to an extent, but it was something that's always been a part of my world. It's always been a part of um, who I was. And um, in high school, I did I did a project on it in um, college. I I spoke about it, um, wrote about it, too. After college, I worked with an organization just one of, uh, they are absolutely brilliant at dialogue, just dialoguing in a way that really um, invites people to talk about this issue. Um, so the Lord just kept it present. It wasn't, it wasn't something that I necessarily thought I would go into or step into in a ministry capacity, but the Lord, he kept, he kept that passion. He kept that, that, um, urgency there. And, um, when I thought I would go a, a different direction, he really just redirected and set me on that course. So talk about that ministry capacity. Mm-hmm. What, is a, what is a day in the life of, of <laughs> your ministry, your own personal ministry in this thing? What does that look mm-hmm. like? What mm-hmm. might you be involved with or deal with? I think it depends on the day. Um, for us, largely, uh, a lot of our focus has been getting this conversation started because um, Typically, given how volatile it can be, um, it can be something that people aren't necessarily comfortable talking about. Or if they do talk about it, they don't necessarily speak about it constructively. So there can be a lot of damage that's caused. Other people might say, well, um, that's not an issue. That's not a problem here in our group, in our school, in our church. And so um, they don't feel the need to talk about it. And others, whether they're pastors or lay people, um, they're really scared to talk about it. So it's been um, quite a lot uh, of ministry has been seeking to get into um, venues, conventions, churches, schools, uh, things like this, where we're just allowed to get the conversation started. Because if we can talk about abortion, it... um, it brings to the fore the concept of value. Why are you valuable? Well, you're valuable because the Lord has established it. He established it through creation. He established it through the cross. Um, and coming back to that place and understanding of intrinsic value, even for people who claim to believe in creation and they claim to believe that the Lord is creator, they're not necessarily decided when it comes to why they are valuable. Many people who we've encountered are still thinking in real time, they're still processing in real time what they believe about the value of the human being. 
If you're not decided on what you believe about the value of the human being, it is going to color the rest of this issue. If you are decided, it's going to color the rest of this issue. But we must come to a place of decision. Do we actually believe the Lord is creator? And if we do, how are we supposed to then... um, How are we supposed to interact, not just on on this issue, but on so many others? So we found that going into places, talking about the value of the human being, but also creating a place that's safe for broken people to be broken, because we're all broken, but we're very good at pretending we're not broken. And so the Lord is saying, open this up and let people say, this is who I am. This is what I've done. And we invite them to understand that they can be redeemed, they can be forgiven. You mentioned you bring this up with some people in some con- uh, contexts, mm. some churches, they'll say, well, we don't have that problem here. Mm. Mm. Is that ever true? Oh, uh, no, no, I would say absolutely not, because um, the ministry is not just seeking to minister to men and women who are post-abortive. The ministry is seeking to awaken an understanding of what it means to be made in the image of the Lord. I think very few people live daily from that foundation that I am made in the image of the Lord. He has defined me, and this is why my life matters. This is why my future matters. This is why I'm here. And um, that only comes from relationship with Christ, being grounded in him. But if we're not connecting to him, if we're not being grounded in him every day, we're going to question that constantly. And so it's not just about um, whether or not a person has had an abortion. It's about their value and how that absolutely um, will affect the rest of this conversation. So as a Christian, I hear these numbers of, of, of abortions mm. per annum, whatever it might be. It's a gargantuan number. Sure. And so, of course, that's all the, the, the heathen women who are having mm. abortions. Mm. How close to me, Joe Average Christian, mm. does abortion come? If, if Let's say it's not my family. Let's mm. say that. If it's not my family, mm-hmm. my little Christian cocoon, mm-hmm. how close am I more than likely coming to to abortion in my context? Extremely close. Statistically speaking, one in four women will have had an abortion by the time she reaches age 45. So if someone in your family has not had one, and I would say that might be questionable, very likely the person in the pew next to you has. So this is real. It's near us. Mm. And I would say if we can't figure out how to address this, deal with this, deal with this, relate to this as Jesus would have us well, it's time to figure that out. Mm, amen. And time to ask the Lord to make our churches, our homes, our congregations, our communities safe spaces for the unborn mm. and for the people who find themselves with no other option mm. but to have an abortion. Can't wait to talk more about this. She's Antoinette Duck from Mafkia Ministries. I'm John Bradshaw. This is our conversation brought to you by It Is Written. We'll be back with more in just a moment. Unless you or someone close to you has experienced it, the pain of miscarriage can be difficult to comprehend. How do you navigate the disappointment, the emotional pain of losing something, someone, that represents your biggest hopes and dreams? Don't miss Innocence Lost, a biblical look at the challenging subject of miscarriage, a subject that touches more lives than most people imagine. You'll meet someone who's experienced the difficulty of miscarriage, 
clinging to the truth of God's word, even when your heart doesn't feel it, was absolutely the most important thing we could have found. And we'll hear from an expert whose insight has helped many families. Everything that's developing initially has to be just right because it's such a critical foundation for the development of that baby. And we'll hear from the Word of God as the Bible provides light and hope in the midst of a bitter challenge. Innocence Lost, brought to you by It Is Written TV. Welcome back to Conversations brought to you by It Is Written. My guest is Antoinette Duck. She's an attorney and also leader of a ministry called Mafkia Ministries. And you were led by God yes. into making this a ministry calling. Mm-hmm. So tell me how that looked. You you enter ministry, you go, what, what do I do now? What, what did you do now? Mm-hmm. Ooh, um, well, I, I first reached out to... Um, different ministers who I really respected by letters. Um, I thought, you know, I um, maybe people just don't understand or maybe they just don't know. Um, and the, the response from different people in ministry has been really fascinating mm-hmm. because you have that same range of responses where sometimes there's fear, sometimes there's support, sometimes there's... Um, I think an uncertainty about how to respond. And so the reaction then is just to say nothing. There, There's quite a few undercurrents when it comes to the abortion issue. Um, and so I, I found myself reaching out and not quite getting the reception that I was hoping for. Um, and the Lord just leading me um, through a series of um, meetings with people, encounters where they would say, try to apply to this convention, try to get in here or try to get in there. And um, as I took step by step by step, the Lord just continued to open up door after door until finally um, I was at a particular convention and I met my partner in ministry, Diane. Um, and when I met Diane, that was pivotal because Diane um, had grown up in the church. And um, when she began to open up about her story, it was amazing, the response, because so many people who believed they knew Diane very well, knew all about her life, suddenly realized there was another component to her story, to um, what had happened. And it really... I think, softened people to say, let's talk about this. Let's have you come and speak. Let's have you come and share. Um, and so since then, we've been we've been speaking together, um, and the Lord has just continued to open up um, venues, uh, places for us to, to share this message. It's really interesting that when you started seeking to get active in ministry, there was clearly some discomfort on the part of some mm. to even know how to approach the subject. Yes. So let's talk about broaching the subject. Uh-huh. Um, how do you, mm. or how should one, it may be the same, maybe maybe two different things. Mm-hmm. How do you or how should one address someone, speak to someone, advise uh, a woman, mm-hmm. and, and she could be she could be 15 or she could be 45, mm-hmm. who's considering having an abortion? Mm-hmm. Now, those conversations aren't, often had. Few people mm-hmm. are going to walk to me and say, hey, I'm thinking about. Uh, but if mm-hmm. a person had the opportunity, mm-hmm. you wouldn't paint a placard and talk mm-hmm. about baby killers and murderers. No. What would you do if someone says, I don't know how many options I have, but mm-hmm. man, I'm thinking of doing this? Because 
Abortion's a pretty easy thing to do these days. It's socially acceptable. It's available widely. It's not a really difficult thing for a person to pursue to get done. How do you advise someone? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think um, we see this issue through the lens of ministry and mission. Um, it's not simply um, a political thing. It's not simply, well, that's right and this is wrong, so go this direction. It's an opportunity to minister the gospel. It's an avenue for ministry and mission. Um, John 3.16, you know, we read John 3.16, but there's so much packed in there. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You have value defined in that verse, for God so loved the world that he gave. And as I mentioned previously, we believe he established that value through creation. He crafted you. He brought you into existence with his fingers. He, he, um, you, he, you were his idea. You originated in his mind. That's why you're here. We believe then that he entrenched it, you might say, that value at the cross forever. He has defined how valuable and significant you are. Um, That's what we believe absolutely for every human being the Lord has brought into existence. When though someone has chosen, either they don't know, they've given into fear, maybe they, they were apathetic for whatever reason they chose to go through with an abortion, where someone has made that decision, they must remember the rest of the verse. Whoever believes in him, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. The, the message of, of this ministry is that you are intrinsically valuable. You always were. And no matter what you do, no matter what you've done, the value that's been placed on you cannot be, um, it's not going to be taken back. It's not going to diminish. However, where we have done something like that, like an abortion, that's not the end of the story. There's redemption, there's hope, there's forgiveness, there's complete restoration if we will turn to the Lord. And so will we choose to see this issue through that lens, ministry and mission? Because the Lord's heart is reconciliation. Absolutely, the Lord wants us to obey him. Absolutely, the Lord wants us to um, do the things he's called us to do in obedience. But his desire is for us to be reconciled to him, not simply to keep a bunch of check boxes. He's been very clear in the gospel where he said, unless you have the righteousness of the Pharisees, right? He wasn't saying, respond to me like the Pharisees do. The Pharisees didn't believe in Christ. They didn't, they didn't accept him on his terms. He wants us. He wants you. He wants me. He wants relationship. He wants nothing in between. His desire is to bring us back to what we were always meant to have with him. And if we will see this issue through that lens, it will change everything. The answer to the second question might be similar to this one. Um, Your daughter comes to you and says, I had an abortion. Mm -hmm. Or your sister or, or, or your mother says years ago, how in the world does a person who's not any kind of psychologist Mm -hmm. enter into that conversation without blowing it completely? Sure. What do you do? Because there's a follow-up question to this that I want to get to in just a second. Okay, sure, sure. I would ask, are we human? 
can we step back from whatever doctrine we're wanting to spout off at a person and approach them as a human being? If we were broken, if we were carrying a certain level of brokenness, which we all are, sure, everyone is person. broken. Yeah. We're only made whole in Christ. Yeah. And so can we stop? I don't, I don't know if, if we get hung up on the doctrine or hung up on, well, that's wrong. Okay, but what is going to draw this person to the Lord? Yes. It's, how are you doing? How, no, no, really, how are you? Because if we, if we were able to have some honest conversations with men and women who have had abortions, we would hear about cutting. We would hear about eating disorders, alcoholism, suicidal thoughts. We would hear about dreams of, of hearing the baby crying. We would hear about remembering the anniversary of the, the death and wondering what they would have sounded like or laughed like or looked like. We're talking about something that does not leave. And so can we step back and Human to human, person to person, ask, how are you? How are you doing? What is life like for you? Can I help you? Thank you for trusting something so deep with me because I don't necessarily deserve that you share this with me, but thank you. I I think, frankly, some of the, the challenges that we might have in processing this simply reveal the depth of our Christianity. Mm. Anyone can condemn. Mm. That's the easy part. I mean, any, anyone who knows the difference between right and wrong or feels they do can condemn. Mm. But the, heaven isn't, isn't open to the, to the one who has the, the greatest condemning skills. Right, right. But rather the one who loves as Jesus loved. And Absolutely. so even if you feel like this is a personal affront to you, and mm. surely it must be in many cases, still you're called to love. Yes. Now, now here's that follow-up question. Yes, yes. So... There's a, a woman, she may be a young woman, 15 or 16, she, and single. She may be married. She, who knows? Any, any age th- th- through that continuum mm. who is pregnant, mm-hmm. out of marriage, mm-hmm. or wait, it might be in marriage, mm-hmm. and feels like abortion is the only way to go. Mm-hmm. Maybe because there's pressure from A, B, C, and D, mm-hmm. fear, whatever. She's weighing up her options. Sure. Abortion looms large as she sure. looks from her vantage point. Who does she talk to mm-hmm. to get help, to, to walk through this thing and make the very best decision she can? Where does that woman go? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I would love for her to be able to go to quite a few places. Um, yeah, but back in the real world. Right, right. Um, and so can she go to a pastor? Can she go to a crisis pregnancy center? Is there a friend or family member who they're willing to embrace her where she is, right? The, the, uh, as we found speaking to lots of, of different people is there's not an understanding of how to dialogue on this issue with grace, with compassion, right. but without compromise. Because you don't have to say abortion is okay. We don't believe that. We don't advocate that. Can we talk to her, though, about how valuable she is? Can we talk to her about how valuable her unborn child is? And can we say, I'm going to walk with you, and I don't know what that looks like, but I'm willing to get in the trenches of life with you, and I will I will drive you places, or I will take you to the crisis pregnancy center, or I will help in some way. I'll, I'll talk to your parents. I will, I'll talk to your grandparents. I will just, I, I will, um, not leave you alone. We have to be those people. If we are not, and many times we have not been, then we see what the result is. 
someone someone's life is going to end mm-hmm. and this isn't a matter of of oh the child will never come into existence the child is in existence the abortion takes the child out of existence something that was alive will be dead there's no reason for the number of abortions that have happened to have happened particularly when so many women say i felt alone Women will even stay in abusive relationships because they're not alone. We, the Lord's hands and feet, have got to do a better job. The job he has called us to do as his people in walking alongside people in hard places. What's happened to society that abortion has become so uh, socially acceptable, Mm. first option for many people, not the second option. At least that's Mm -hmm. the way it's portrayed. Mm -hmm. What's happened to us that it seems there's an entire, I don't want to call it an industry, but I just did, that will will preach a certain message about the benefits of abortion and, and what kind of an animal would even suggest that this shouldn't be an option. What happened to us societally that we got to the place where a Abortion is happening with such massive numbers. Sure. Okay. I I think if we're honest with ourselves, if we don't believe we have a creator, it changes the entire conversation. It really does. If you were designed, if you were brought into existence by another, if someone else has defined your value, it changes the abortion conversation, then that means the Lord has also defined the unborn's value and the homeless man's value and your neighbor across the street. He's defined it. It's settled. The standard is there. If we reject that, then it opens wide the door for all of these other standards to come in. And that's what we've seen. We've seen that as the Lord's standard of value is rejected, there's nothing left to protect you. His word says that um, he raises a banner. He raises his banner. So when the floods come against you, the Lord raises his banner up. If we're rejecting his standard, we're rejecting the thing on which our value, our significance, our purpose that it's built. So I think it's a natural consequence of the fact that we're rejecting the standard. In society, it's really prevalent to see abortion promoted. Mm. Really, really very, very prevalent. Um, I don't know if you have numbers, research, or just a hunch. Mm-hmm. Do, do, do a, what sort of percentage of women ultimately regret mm. that they had an abortion? I don't mean for this to be a manipulative manipulative question, but do you have any read on how Mm -hmm. many women eventually say, man, that was a bad idea? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't think you could get quite accurate numbers because someone has to be willing to admit that. Um, I will say I think approximately 800 to 900,000 were performed in the U.S. in 2020. Okay, so let's say that even half of those women and men regretted their decision. Let's say half of them thought it was the best decision. They're happy they made it. But the other half regret it. What is our response as believers? What is our response as the church? We have to be able to point them 
to the light. We have to be able to point them to hope, to freedom, to forgiveness. The only way we're going to do that is if we are standing on a firm foundation. If we decide to gloss over this issue, if we don't want to talk about it, if we're afraid, if we just are afraid of saying anything so we do nothing, um, if we gloss over it, if we say, oh, it's not such a big deal, um, we're not going to point people to the light. We're not going to point them to freedom. We're going to point them away from it. It's far past time, far past time for us to decide we are going to pick up the banner. We are going to be a voice for hope, for freedom, for reconciliation, for value, that we're simply going to stand on the word of truth. Uh, That's what we're called to do. Salvation is not for us alone. Yes, the Lord wants to save me, but he saved me so that I can be a beacon that points all of these other people back to the light and back to him. That's part of the point. And so will we do this on this issue? Will we see it through the lens of ministry and mission, not see it as something political, not see it as something to condemn another person with, but realize, hey, we're equal at the foot of the cross. I understand you're in in this position and I'm going to love you anyway. That complicates it, though, doesn't it? It is political, you know? Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be political or the way an individual relates to it. Mm-hmm. But this, it's an election issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, parties will, will, will force it to be an election issue. Mm-hmm. How does that complicate things for, for people like you or for those who, who seek to minister to people mm-hmm. where it's no longer really just seen as a personal view but it's part of your political identity. I'm mm-hmm. not saying everybody sees it that way, but I think if we look around around this country, a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think the idea that the church has allowed it to become um, simply a political issue is really um, a reflection of the church. If the church was being the voice that it should be for value, if it was being the voice that it should be for the Lord as creator— it would completely change the conversation. It isn't because we don't. And the Lord's saying, if you will, if you will worship him who made sun and moon and sky and you, if you will worship him as the creator of everyone and not just the creator of you yourself, he completely wants to transform not only the issue, but how we're impacting the lives of those around us. Amen, amen. With Antoinette Duck, I'm John Bradshaw. Glad you are with us. We will be back with more from our conversation in just a moment. You know that at It Is Written, we are serious about the study of the Word of God, and we encourage you to be serious about God's Word also. Well, I want to share with you another way that you can dig deeper into the Word of God, and here it is. Itiswritten.study Go online to itiswritten.study and you can access the It Is Written Bible Study Guides, 25 in-depth Bible studies that will walk you through the Bible. It's going to be good for you, and it's the sort of thing that you will want to tell somebody else about so that they can dig deeper into the Word of God and come to know the things of the Bible intimately. As you get into the It Is Written online Bible study guides, you'll understand the prophecies of the Bible, the plan of salvation, and more. So don't forget, itiswritten.study. Itiswritten.study. Well, 
Welcome back to Conversations brought to you by It Is Written. I'm John Bradshaw. Very blessed to be speaking with Antoinette Duck. And your ministry has mm. has seen a lot, done a lot, been a lot of places. You've helped an enormous amount of people. Let me ask you this. When it comes to a, abortion, mm. a pregnancy, uh, uh, good situations, bad situations, there must be a right way or maybe many right ways and many wrong ways mm. to handle that. Mm-hmm. What have What have you seen? Mm. Well, I'll tell you a couple stories. Um, we were at a pastor's convention several years ago, and we encountered these two stories, um, I think, on the same day. There was a um, pastor whose daughter got pregnant and um, didn't feel like she could share it with her family. And so she decided that she was going to hide her pregnancy and she bound up her stomach um, and she hid the pregnancy um, until it was time to deliver. Yeah, how long can you hide something like that? Well, probably depending on the clothes you wear and how tight you might bind up your stomach, you can hide it for quite some time. Oh, I'm thinking that cannot have worked out well. Mm, No. Her family, they they were out one day. They came back home. She went upstairs um, to go into the restroom. Her family hears a thud on the floor, and they go upstairs, um, and they see that there's blood on the floor. Their daughter has passed out. And so they take her to the hospital, and after they take her to the hospital, um, the doctor comes out and says, where is the baby? And the family says, what baby? And the doctor says, your daughter was pregnant. No. Um, when the pastor, who was not the father, just a friend, shared this story and talked about the tragedy of it because the child did not survive, um, he talked about the tragedy of it. He said, you see, this is why we need abortion. And I said, sir, this is why we need to believe in the value of the human being from its very beginning. This is why we need church culture and families that don't value you or love you based on how well you perform. That is not the gospel. At the same time, we encountered a story um, of another pastor who um, that week in real time, he had found out that his daughter was pregnant and he and his wife encountered our booth and just started sharing so honestly about how they were feeling, what they thought. They said, "Um, I'm afraid of what people are going to say about me. Am I a good parent? How did I raise her? Like, I'm afraid of what people's comments are going to be, what their reactions are going to be. Um, So raw, so honest. And we prayed with them. We spoke to them. They brought their daughter by the booth and they decided she had said she wanted to keep the baby and they decided that they were going to support her in that in fact the last day they were there the the father grandfather in that sense he comes up to diane and he says i'm the granddad he had transitioned so completely from what am i going to do what are people going to think about me to claiming ownership of his grandchild Do you know what that did for his daughter, that he was willing to lay down his reputation, lay down what other people were going to say about him and say, I'm going to love you. I'm going to choose you. I want you. You're mine. He preserves so much, including the life of his own grandchild. This is the difference. Now, 
How did the first family act? We don't know all those details. We know the daughter's response. In the second story, we know that the daughter believed, I'm just going to tell them, and I'm going to say I want to keep this child. Should we encourage sex outside of marriage? No, that goes completely against the boundaries and parameters the Lord has established. He knows us. He knows what will satisfy us. He, he, um, his, his standards are worth upholding and keeping. When, though, someone steps outside the boundaries the Lord has established, what is our response going to be? Truly, what is our response going to be to the broken, to the lost, to the person who has made this decision? What is our response going to be? It cannot simply be, well, I don't love you. I won't walk with you. I won't support you. Where is that going to send them? It's not going to send them to a place of safety. It's not going to send them to a place of wanting to keep their child. The response of this second father and the mother, because she was right there with him, um, preserved their family line. It preserved their daughter's sense of of um, dignity. It, it gave her a deeper understanding of the way the Lord loves. It did so much. And who knows what's supposed to happen in that grandchild or in the family for generations until the Lord comes. We don't know. But these people stood on truth, even though it was hard and painful and embarrassing. And they they preserved life on so many levels in so many ways. That idea about preserving life, I recall my sister's friend had a child when she was 16. Mm. When her daughter was 16 mm. and got pregnant, she said to her daughter, look, we can, we can get an abortion. Mm. And the daughter said, you could have aborted me mm. and you didn't abort me. And so no, I will not be having an abortion. Mm. What's really interesting, a couple of years ago, uh, I met, okay, not the girl's daughter, mm-hmm. but the girl's daughter's daughter. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Beautiful girl. You, you mm-hmm. saw and you got this girl is going place in the world. <laughs> she was at a, at, a, at, a, at a parochial school. Mm. Life was extended. Mm-hmm. You know, these bright futures were starting to be realized. Mm. There was a there was another way. Mm. What do you say to people who say, "I've got no way out. I have to have an abortion. I don't have uh, a support system." Some cases are really really tough. Mm. Mm. Others, let's be honest, not nearly so tough. Mm-hmm. A, a friend mm-hmm. of mine had an abortion. This was how many years ago? I don't know how many years ago. It was it was sorry to say, merely an abortion of convenience. Sure. The one night stand wasn't really very interested. She sure. had a career that she wanted to get on with. This child was merely. Uh, complicating her life, mm-hmm. but but is it overly simplistic for me, a man, or for you, not the person involved, to mm-hmm. say there are other ways, honey? Is it overly simplistic, or is it really true? No, I, I believe it is really true. But remember, what we're attempting to help her see at the beginning is the value of her unborn child and her own value. So absolutely we would we would seek to um, point her to resources. You seek to point her to a support system if she cannot get that from her parents or her family. But also 
Will we have an honest conversation about the value of the unborn as well as her own? Is there a way the Lord can speak through our words to open up her understanding to see that we don't have to devalue the unborn? And just being very honest about that, you know, even in um, the the talks that we've given, seminars we've given, there are inevitably are post-abortive men and women in the audience, inevitably. And one in particular approached us after um, a seminar we had given, and she said, you know, I was sort of at peace with myself because I didn't really believe in the value of my unborn child. She had had an abortion. But after listening to our seminar, she said, "Um, I'm really going to have to wrestle with some things. Because she did not believe in the value of the unborn. If you're told the unborn is merely a clump of cells, what's Mm. there to value? Mm. Exactly, exactly. So let me ask you this follow-up question. So she didn't see the value of the unborn child. No one had told her. Mm -hmm. What do you feel are some of the things, some of the other things, that women contemplating abortion are frequently not told? Mm -hmm. That if they were told this might expand their understanding. What might that be? Mm -hmm. Well, as uh, I referenced earlier, the um, self-harming behaviors that can result, um, whether it's self-harming through cutting or something else, burning, um, you it could be tendency to suicide, alcoholism, promiscuity, drug use, um, all sorts of self-loathing, self-harming behaviors can result. How do I know you're not exaggerating this? Um, because it's it's um, proven. Like there have been studies done. There are testimonials where women are willing to talk about it. Um, now there is another group of women who might or men who would say this was a good decision. It was it was what I needed. Okay, so you can say, well, that's your experience. You can allow them to have. That's where they are. That's that's um, what they're willing to share at that point. There's an entire other group of people, though, and they're expressing all of these other um, really traumatic um, consequences they've had after. And yeah. this is without going to a picket line or going to a church, remembering the anniversary of the death, thinking about what the child might have looked like, sounded like, laughed like, um, oh, yeah. thinking about when the child might have been born, all hearing, having dreams about the child, like all of these things are are results of the act. So the idea that, that an abortion is simply going to solve all your problems, um, while that may appear to be true for some, the fact is you can't promise anyone that because that may just be a lie in mm. many, many cases, right? Mm. There's mm. an even chance that the abortion will complicate a woman's life rather than be the, the magic bullet that took away all of life's Challenges. Well, I will say um, flat out that um, abortion is not going to solve the problem. Why? Because we're operating from an eternal standard as believers. The eternal standard says that we were made in the image of the Lord. The eternal standard says that the unborn is a valuable human being. So when you end the life of a human being, there's no way it's not going to impact you. This is not neutral territory. And the abortive act is not a neutral one that maybe impacts some people and doesn't impact others. There will be an impact. There might be denial. And I can't tell her you have experienced. Experienced XYZ. 
I haven't walked her walk. What I believe is abortion isn't neutral. It's not happening in a neutral setting. So for you two, just as you said, you're not ending the life of a clump of cells. You've ended the life of a human being. Something was alive. It was growing inside of you, and now it's dead. There's no way it doesn't have an impact. There's, there's no way. So what do you think people on the other side of the abortion question don't know or don't understand? Those folks out there with, with uh, pickets, signs, and so forth— mm. screaming insults Mm -hmm. at a woman walking into an abortion clinic. Mm -hmm. What do these folks not understand that they really Mm. need to understand? Mm -hmm. You know, I think we come back to um, the way that the Lord loved. He met people where they were, and he had the incredible wisdom to slice through things and get to the heart of something. You consider the woman at the well. He was very honest and said, you've had this many husbands and the man you're with isn't your husband. But he didn't condemn her. However, he said that to her. It did not make her want to run. Now, she she felt maybe some conviction. And so she wanted to slide the conversation this way or that way. But he didn't cause her to say, oh, not safe. I'm leaving my water jug and going. And he did that over and over and over again. Why did the woman caught in adultery? Why didn't she just get up and run? Like, why is she there at his feet? And he says, I don't condemn you. It, he interacted with people. What about the Matthew, who was the tax collector, who came and followed him? There are so many instances of the Lord being able to interact with people who are are doing wrong, but he doesn't interact with them in a way that makes them feel condemned as though they can't approach him. Yeah, a, a lot of people, I believe, whether it's this issue or another issue, they're afraid to be loving because they don't want their lovingness to be misconstrued as license. Mm. What do you say to that person? That we have to learn how to dialogue on this issue with grace, with compassion, but without compromise. That's how the Lord interacts with us. There is a standard. Even if it's not the issue of abortion, we've all broken the standard. That doesn't do away with the standard. We're asked to come up to the standard by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he equips us to do that. Um, We have to learn how to talk about this in a way that is constructive, in a way that embraces the value of both. As we spoke about in the beginning, where we see mother and child, father, grandparents as equals. We love them. We want to walk alongside them. It doesn't change the wrongness of abortion, but it changes the way that we approach and interact with them. What do men need to know? Particularly, Mm. say, the the, the father. Mm. Um, It's a whole lot easier for a man to distance himself from the reality of a pregnancy than a woman, Mm. for numerous obvious reasons. Mm. What, what, what do the men need to know, and what are they going through when the woman is wrestling with this? Mm. I know, I know, one size doesn't fit all, but what are your observations? Mm. You know, uh, I was listening to this documentary, I believe it's called Irreplaceable, and there was a speaker in there who said, we've made it easy for men to walk away, and we have. As a culture, as churches, we have made it very easy for men to walk away, and that's a real tragedy because... Um, this is not just a woman's issue, not only in the way that men are impacted by the result of abortion, but also um, in bearing responsibility, culpability for the fact that there's now another human being. That human being needs care. They need um, time, energy, attention. And it is 
a tragedy that we've allowed men to throw this at the feet of women and say, it's your body, it's your choice, you deal with it. I get it. There are a lot of women who support that mindset. But so many women have said, if I had had support, if someone would have walked alongside me, I would have made a different choice. And men have the freedom to say, well, I never signed up for this, so I'm just going to go on with my life. That's not right on any level, any level whatsoever. When it comes to the way that abortion impacts men, it absolutely does. We, we interacted with um, a pastor who actually had us out to his church, and he had, um, had a girlfriend who had an abortion. Um, he struggled even with suicidal thoughts as a result of that. Um, you could see anger, depression, workaholism, alcoholism, all sorts of things. Because again, what are we talking about? We're not talking about um, an ear piercing. We're talking about the fact that there was a human being and now there no longer is a human being. And that lies at the feet of someone. In fact, to someone's. You cannot simply walk away from that unscathed. You can't because we're not on neutral ground. It's not a neutral act. It's going to have an impact. It may manifest itself differently. It may manifest in burying or anger or controlling or or self-harm of some kind, but it's going to show up. My body, my choice. So really loaded phrase. you got about 45 seconds to answer <laughs> okay. that line of thought. What do you say? What do you say? You, you, you've studied this more closely than many people have. This, this isn't a, a hobby for you. This is a calling. It's a passion. Sure. And you're educated. Mm. Will you hear a phrase like that? How do you respond? Oof. 45 seconds is not a lot of time. No, but for, um, for people who really claim to be believers, um, they claim that they believe in the Lord as their creator. They must step back and ask themselves, are they being intellectually honest? Is this really your body, your choice? Is it? Or is there actually another body inside of you? We could get into the science of that and embryologists talking about from the moment of conception, a new, unique, genetic human organism is inside. That's very true. Um, is a woman in that crisis pregnancy, the, the pregnancy that she didn't want, didn't intend, is she willing to see the value of the unborn? even though it is inside of her body? Is she willing to um, make the brave choice to move forward carrying that child to term? There's a lot more that we could say about that, but it comes back to that paradigm that she's willing to see through. Fascinating. You ask as a person being intellectually honest, a friend of mine Mm. taught embryology for a while. Mm -hmm. He said studying this thing would would change. Yes your mind and change your life just Mm -hmm. looking at the science. Antoinette, I wish we weren't out of time, but we are. Mm. It's been a joy. I really appreciate you coming here and appreciate your ministry. May God bless you and prosper what you're doing uh, to reveal him more fully to, to those around you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for being with us. This has been a real joy. I hope you have been truly blessed. With Antoinette Duck, I'm John Bradshaw, and this has been our conversation. 